Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, badder, more purposeful life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance and a fancy SVP title, I left corporate America to advocate for women and girls in life, love, the marketplace, and the boardroom. Now the CEO of my own media company, my goal is to change the world for my daughter and her friends. My first book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, dropped this fall and is based on what women wish they would have known when they were girls. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a safe place for us to share our goals and our dreams for the future. We record every week from the sound studio at The Space LV. Amberly Lago almost lost her leg in a tragic motorcycle accident. A fitness expert and runner who was once signed with Nike, Amberly faced the loss of her career and her identity. With sheer grit and determination, she faced over 30 surgeries, but after successfully keeping her leg, she was diagnosed with the nerve disease CRPS, also called the suicide disease. Living with pain every day, she found herself asking her doctor to then take the very thing she saved. It was then that she realized, this is the rest of my life, which caused her to put together Pacer, a toolbox for overcoming obstacles. Amberly Lago is the author of True Grit and Grace, where she shares her true story of how her life was forever altered. She inspires all to thrive with resilience, one of our greatest strengths to get through any obstacle. In our time together, Amberly shares the steps of Pacer, including perception, acceptance, community, endurance, and rest. Let's dig in. Today I have with me Amberly Lago, who I'm so excited to speak with. Your story is so inspirational. I cried reading your book, True Grit and Grace. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me, and I hope they're happy tears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Amberly, your story is just so beautiful because it's there's it's all wrapped in resilience and um, as we were talking before we got started, um, her editor was you know telling her your book is a love story and I think the parts that really got me were um, your husband and how he responded um, to the accident that happened that has created this new life and trajectory for you. And I was just so blown away. I mean, within the very first few chapters, I already had tears in my eyes. And I want to kind of dig into that with you because I know um, you talk a lot about resilience. So let's let's talk about what happened. There was a devastating motorcycle accident. And you, oh my gosh, the grit and determination that you have. Um, oh, thank you. And I want you to kind of share with us um, what happened and um, a little bit about why you decided to call your book True Grit and Grace. Okay, yeah, you know, I tell you, in the blink of an eye, your whole life can change, that's for sure. Um, and I feel blessed that I do have an amazing husband that has been by my side throughout this whole journey. I don't think it's even really my book, even though I wrote it, I think that it's our story and it's our book. He's, he's really been there through me through, uh, throughout the whole journey. You know, our life was so good. I was at the top of my fitness career. I had trainers that worked for me. I at one time was sponsored by Nike. I had just gotten back into doing fitness videos 
we had my oldest daughter was 15 and my youngest daughter was two. And I was on my way home from work um, on my motorcycle when I got hit by an SUV. And I I had a, when I woke up from a coma, I had a 1% chance of saving my leg Mm -hmm. because my femoral artery was severed and it was so severely crushed. The doctor said that it was basically like a war wound. There was nothing they could do for it. Mm -hmm. And it was actually my husband who said, you're at the one hospital, don't touch her. I want her to wake up from a coma with both of her legs. Mm -hmm. And I want that to be her decision. And we got, he, it, it took, thank goodness. He had a lot of connections because he's a Lieutenant commander with the highway patrol. And he had, we have a family friend that's a doctor who happened to know the doctor at Cedars. And so, you know, it was really hard to get me transport transported because of being in a coma and in ICU and these doctors wanted to amputate it. And so it took an act of God to get me transferred. And once I did, they did to basically piece my leg back together and 34 surgeries in total. Mm. And it did take a lot of grit. And by the grace of God, they saved my leg. And, you know, when, as I was writing my book, I did not know what to call my book. I had written it. I was halfway finished with it. And I thought, I don't know what to call it. And I ran into a friend who had seen a post that I had done on Instagram. And she, she said, oh, wow, girl, you have got some grit and grace. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that that's what your leg looked like. And, um, I said, can I name my book that? She said, you're welcome. (laughs) She's like, where am I in the uh, acknowledgements? Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's really, that's awesome. I, I'm curious. Um, you talked a little bit in your book about that moment, like the, it seemed like forever, if I'm not mistaken, when you were, were hit and you were sliding down the road. Um, and you were actually surprised, I think, by your condition later, but you had, a, was it an adversity to morphine? Yeah, I was allergic to morphine and thank goodness that I didn't get knocked out in the accident because I would go into anaphylactic shock mm. if if I did have morphine. And so when I looked down at my leg and I saw that it was broken into pieces and my foot was hanging off and it seemed like my leggings were the only thing that even kept my leg on at all. Um, I was glad that I was able, they started putting the IV and getting ready to administer some medication. And I said, well, what are you going to give me? And they said, morphine. And I said, well, no, you can't give me morphine. I said, I'm allergic to it and I might die. And then on the way, it seemed like the longest ride ever, um, on the way to the hospital. And I was kind of wishing, well, maybe dying would be better than this because wow. it was just intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't that long of a drive, but it just seemed like forever. And when I got to the emergency room, um, because my husband um, is a cop, he the whole news traveled fast and there were so many cops in the ER. And in fact, the doctor and nurses thought that I was maybe a cop and, um, it was chaotic. I mean, just, and I heard this screaming and I didn't know what it was. And it was my husband Mm. and I had never seen him cry and he was hysterical. And I screamed across the hotel or the hotel, the, the room, 
Johnny, get over here. I need you to be strong for me. And he came over and he held my hand. And that's the last thing I remember. Mm -hmm. And um, I had no idea just how much my life was going to change. I had no idea. I thought that I would maybe be out of work for a little while and have to train clients on crutches for a little while. But I had no idea that it would be, it would change the direction of my life, my relationship with my husband, my relationship with my children. And, and I also had no idea that, you know, here I saved my leg and it took so many years to wear uh, in and out of surgeries. And, you know, my last surgery was just um, about a year ago. So, and I'm done with surgeries for my leg. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had no idea that by saving my leg that I fought so hard to save that that would take me into such a dark place. So the very thing that I saved was now taking me down into the darkest place I'd ever been in my life where I was, um, diagnosed with CRPS, Mm -hmm. which is a nerve disease and it's dubbed the suicide disease for good reason. And from what I understand, um, the, the pain that you feel is daily, correct? The nerve, yeah, the nerve disease. Yeah. I, there's a constant chronic pain and it levels if, um, I'm having a flare up if I've done too much or mm-hmm. it's crazy. It's a, it's a baffling, cunning and baffling disease because, you know, I, some days I don't know what sets it off and I don't know what makes it feel like there's a vice grip on my foot and battery acid running through my veins. Wow. And and then other days, I think that by doing the stair climber, a little bit extra is going to flare it up and it doesn't. So it's, it's really, really taught me to listen to my body Mm -hmm. um, because all I ever knew how to do was push through the pain. And I had to really learn a different set of tools. And um, when I was stuck before I was able to exercise again, and when I was stuck in the hospital bed, I realized I didn't really have any tools because what I mainly used to get me through so much was running and working out and being around people and really kind of running away from my feelings. And now all of a sudden I was stuck dealing with those feelings right in front of my face and there was nowhere I could run to. Did you ever have a moment when you say the one thing that you saved was the one thing that really took you to the darkest place? Did you ever have a moment where you would have changed your mind or regretted it? Yeah, actually, um, less than a year ago, I actually went to my doctor and I said, can you just cut it off? Really? And he said, we can't do that. He said, you have a nerve disease now Mm -hmm. and it may make it worse. And it's not a, it's no longer an option for you. Mm -hmm. And that was a whole new layer of, holy crap, this is it. This is the rest of my life. So I, I better do something about it. I better, if I want to find joy and if I want to rise up despite all that I'm going through and keep showing up for life, keep showing up as a mom and keep showing up as a wife and keep showing up to share my message of inspiration to others and offer them tools Then I better really define what those tools are. And so that moment of clarity actually um, 
inspired me to get really serious about what it, what is it that I do every day? Mm-hmm. What is it that enables me to, despite living with this pain that makes me want to go to the doctor and and I ask him to cut my leg off, what is it that gets me through, that keeps me going, that keeps me from throwing in the towel? And so um, I think everything in life that we go through it prepares us for what we're destined to do. And um, things, you know, that day I was devastated because, and I know that sounds weird to be devastated that you can't get your leg amputated, but I guess that just shows you how bad it hurts. Um, But it, it led me, it it took me to a different direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you, cause I mean, I think you think about it, like your entire life had been based on physicality, right? You had that for endorphins, you had that for, um, your, your health, your wellness, physical, mental, emotional, and then all of a sudden what you're used to going to is, is taken. Um, since then, I know that you just did a TED talk and that you talk about resiliency and you talk about overcoming obstacles. Um, how did that, that dark moment a year ago, um, what what tools did you start to put into practice? Were they things that you had already been doing or was this kind of an act of like, okay, here's another level up moment where I have to create new tools in order for me to function? No, actually, um, it, it, what, it I didn't realize it at the time, but I had been using these tools all along. And the reason I say that, I didn't even realize it at the time, but so I was working on my second book and I wanted it to be part of this, this technique that I developed for these tools. It's called PACER, mm-hmm. P-A-C-E-R, and it stands for Perception, Acceptance, Community, Endurance, and Rest. And so I was pulling all the quotes and all the things that I had written from blogs and all the different posts that I'd done on Instagram and I divided it into those pacer categories, whether it was in the perception or perspective and perception category or whether it was in community. And I had been writing and and sharing these for the past two years, but I didn't realize it until um, actually it was one night when I was sitting at dinner with my husband and I tend to, to overdo it. And he looked across the table and he said, Amberly, you have got to pace yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of laughed and then I really thought about it and I got quiet. And I really thought about what that stood for, for me. Because um, I don't like to be told to slow down. But what does pace yourself? Because I was like, this is my pace. This is my- <laughs> Get on fast. board. I go full throttle. Right. <laughs> and so I started writing down on a piece of paper and, um, everything that I do throughout the day to kind of strengthen my resilience. And the words were flowing. I was writing everything down. Actually, it was on a a paper dinner napkin or a dinner napkin. And then suddenly the dinner napkin was full and I started reading it off to my husband. I think a little bit of me was trying to prove to him that I was pacing myself. And this is exactly the things that I did all day. And I was pacing myself, but um, it was, it, when they asked me to do the Ted talk and you have, we had 14 minutes Mm -hmm. to share a message and man, that gets you to narrow in really it to focus in on what it is, your mess, what message, what is that? What is your message? What is it that you want to share? And so I really started kind of 
getting specific on what those, what it was and what I did every day. And right before I went to go give my Ted talk, my daughter had the flu. I was back in the ER with an, uh, um, infection. Um, I got out and then I was going upstairs trying to practice my talk and downstairs to hold the throw up bucket for my daughter. And I threw my back out Oh my God! and I'm lying in my bedroom floor. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I was freaking out. Mm-hmm. And, um, my girlfriend called and said, well, how are you doing? I said, not good. And she said, pacer. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I started applying the technique, my message. And it, I was like, oh, this works. Suddenly I started feeling better because I realized it wasn't just helping me with my pain. It was helping me with my fear, my anxiety. It's even helped me with my depression. And it, what it really did for me, all those things that I was going through right before I was going to give my Ted talk, it really strengthened my message even more that it, it really proved to me. Yeah, no, this does work. It worked for you before, yeah. you know, and it, it's going to work for other people. So, um, like I said, I think everything happens for a reason. I was just like, okay, I hear this message loud and clear. I don't need to be lying on my bedroom floor to hear it, you know? <laughs> well, it's funny. And I feel like, especially when you're a writer, um, the universe kind of is like, are you sure? Because I, you know, with my book, I I wrote and I was very conscientious about exactly how I was putting things together and what kind of message I wanted to share. And there have been several times since I wrote my book where I have a personal dilemma and someone will look at me and be like, didn't you just write about this? Like, listen to your own words, you know, and I've, I've thought about the second book that I want to write. And I've had moments that have been very, very challenging. And I'm like, I'm being tested to make sure that my message is tight, right? That I'm applying the practice that I'm sharing. And it's kind of funny because you don't even recognize it sometimes when you're in the moment, when you're in the mess of it. And you're like, these are the words that I, I believe and that I share. And it's kind of like the universe is like, okay, now show up, you know, and it's, it's crazy how that happens. Um, with that's exactly what I thought. That is exactly what I thought. And I was like, okay, I hear you. (laughs) Right. And, and I like, I, the next day I woke up, my back was better. And I think it was just because I was able to relax. Mm -hmm. It gave me some serenity and yeah, but I feel the same way. I feel like, you know, the universe will give us little messages and, and do things to go like, yeah, are you sure about that? You sure? Yeah. You sure you're sure? <laughs> Have your foundation set. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of funny how that works. And I'm like, all right, I got it. The universe has a sense of humor. <laughs> like Message received. I don't need any more of this one. Thank you. Um, yeah. With the, with Pacer, do you have? I know that it's it's something that you're working on and it's it's forthcoming. But could you give us any sneak peeks? Yeah. Um, well, actually, I'm doing a challenge that's going to be ready. I don't like to say challenge though, because I'm I feel like a lot of times we have enough challenges. But mm-hmm. my daughter loves challenges, and she, because she completes it, and she's like, "Yeah, I did the challenge," you know. But So um, I'm in the process of fine tuning this, I guess, challenge, but it's really, I'm going to be walking through with you five days of Pacer. So the first day we're going to be going over perspective and just how by shifting your perspective, you can change your life. You Mm -hmm. have the power to change your life just with a simple shift in perspective. 
and by acceptance. Cause for me, acceptance was really hard. I was in denial. I did not want to believe that I was going to live the rest of my life with a chronic nerve disease. Um, but when I truly accepted it, um, I was able to take action and make my life better. And we're going to go overseas for community, which community I think is maybe the most powerful part of PACER because when we have community, it really, truly strengthens our resilience. I was so stubborn. I mean, I still kind of am, but um, I tried to do everything on my own. And I have found, especially when I was stuck in a hospital bed and you're depending on somebody to carry your bedpan for you, that, you know, we need community. And it's a way that, you know, when I've been able to share some of my darkest moments, it has strengthened my faith and it has made me feel like I'm not alone on this journey. Um, and cause you know, challenges, it's, it's human nature. We face challenges and we have fears and it takes a lot of endurance. And that's what E is for is endurance. And it's not necessarily about enduring the pain or enduring the hardships, but doing our best despite um, our circumstances. And then the last one is for R and that's, the hardest one for me. And that's the one that my husband will be like, where's the R Amberly? <laughs> and that's for rest. Right. And I'm like, yes. And it's so hard for me to rest because for so long, you know, growing up an athlete and a dancer, I was taught that you push through the pain. It doesn't matter. You suck it up. You cowgirl up. Mm -hmm. And I thought that resting was quitting. And resting doesn't mean quitting. It means that we're recovering. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. And I'm going to go over ways to find creative ways of resting when you have never-ending to-do list or a busy schedule or you're in too much pain to fall asleep. So... Um, it's really a way to create community so people feel like they can learn tools and they have support along the way. I love that because like your first two are so important to me, perspective and acceptance. And I feel like it's, I feel like it's layers, especially acceptance. I feel like acceptance is layered as well because like as you're growing and I'm one of those people who it's like I'm addicted to growth. I'm addicted to like making sure I'm a better person today than I was yesterday. And maybe I'm even a little bit too hard on myself at times. But it's, it's funny. I've learned that shifting my perspective has completely changed everything. My relationships, the way I enter relationships, the work situations and settings that I allow myself to be in, the way I look at my daughter and the presence that I want to have when I'm with her. Um, but acceptance to me has been really interesting. Like I feel like you have moments where it's really hard for you not only to accept the situation as is, but even sometimes your own bad behavior or stubbornness or unwillingness or old belief systems that I feel like there's been times where it's like I feel like I'm up leveled and I'm I'm like oh I'm so wise and I'm like really I've accepted the things in my life and I'm moving forward and then you have a new challenge that pops up and all of a sudden you're like okay well I didn't expect this one um mm -hmm. but you have the tools did you did you ever feel like you've had moments where like acceptance has been has it ever been easy has it been like oh, a smack in the hard. face is it, it multiple sucked. layered yeah <laughs> tell me like what's so hard and I really think I had somebody um I I was interviewed and someone, I don't remember which interview it was, and they asked me, what has been the boldest move that you've ever made? And they, I think they thought I was going to say, oh, it was 
deciding that I was going to fight to save my leg or, but it wasn't it for me, it was accepting that I had a problem and I needed help Mm -hmm. and it was reaching out for help. That took so much courage. It takes a lot of courage to accept where you are on your journey. Um, because I think a lot of people, I did a talk at this doctor's clinic and I talked about acceptance and this one lady came up to me afterwards and she said, well, I am not going to accept that I have this back pain. I'm just not accepting it. And I said, you already have, I said, you're here and you're doing something about it. Mm -hmm. I said, acceptance doesn't mean defeat. It just means that we're ready to take action steps to be the best version of ourselves that we can possibly be. I said, it's a willingness to try and do better and be better and make our situation better. And it's, and again, that goes back to perspective. It's all how you look at it. And um, acceptance was, I think, one of the hardest things for me. And um, I was on the outside trying to pretend like everything was okay. And on the inside, I was just dying inside. And my world used to, it was really big. I had a huge clientele and a lot of friends and we always entertained. And my world got smaller and smaller and smaller because I could not keep that life, that double life up where I was trying to pretend like everything was okay. And when I felt horrible, And it wasn't until I was in acceptance and I could start addressing what was going on with my body um, that I could start to do make healthier decisions for me mentally, physically, spiritually. Mm -hmm. When you got to that, well, when you got to that place where you're kind of like, okay, (laughs) I'm at this place of acceptance. I've surrendered to this situation. Did you find that? any friendships changed or the way you kind of related to to people? You mentioned you had this kind of big community and you talk about community and the people that wanted to take care of you. And at times you didn't want them around because you knew that you were going to be grumpy, right? Mm -hmm. You you knew that you weren't going to be in the best frame of mind because when you're in pain, it it absolutely affects your personality. Mm -hmm. Um, But did you find that there was like, when you finally got to acceptance and you realized my life's going to look a little bit different, um, was it difficult to make those shifts and does, does the way you interact with friends and community, is it different than it was before? No, you know, I think, I think so many times for me anyway, you think everybody's paying attention so much to what's going on with you, but they really aren't. They're so into what's going on with themselves mm-hmm. <laughs> that mo- like a lot of people, they didn't it wasn't a big shift that I could see. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, though, personally, it felt like a weight lifted off of my shoulders. Really? I felt like a sense of freedom and relief. And for the first time, I felt I f- truly felt hope. I felt like I, I can there's a solution and I can do things to make this better. And I felt free in so many aspects. Um, Physically, I felt free. I mean, here I was. I was trying to cover up my scars. I was trying to um, walk without a limp. And a lot of days I do. Some days I don't even realize I'm limping. But I tried to, when my leg was still broken and I was walking on a broken leg, um, 
just the, the, the metal rod in the bed, the, the bone had not completely healed together. There was a non-union and I was trying to walk without a limp and trying to be so strong. And the minute that I thought I don't have to cover my leg up, I can just, I can wear shorts again. I can wear a bathing suit to the beach. I can show my daughters that, I have acceptance in the way that I look and I can be proud of all these scars because it meant it's, I survived a lot and now I'm thriving despite it all. And I wanted my daughters are my, my biggest inspiration. And I wanted to set an example for them that they can, no matter what they look like, um, no matter if they have scars, no matter what shape or size or color or anything our girls are that um, they have acceptance and they can be proud and they can walk with dignity and grace. And, you know, my daughter is a big one of my youngest daughter is a big horseback rider. And when she's not on a horse, she's pretending to be a horse. And (laughs) she was was being silly and she trumped over this bench and she had on those skate shoes that have wheelies that have the wheels on the bottom. Mm Mm-hmm. And she crashed and busted her leg open pretty good. And she had, we had to get stitches in her leg and it got infected. And so we went to the doctor a few days later and he said, oh man, I'm really worried about a scar. This looks like it's going to scar. And she goes, well, I'm not worried about a scar. And he goes, well, you know, those modeling legs. And she goes, well, I'm not going to be a model when I grow up. I'm going to be a horseback rider. And that moment of her owning who she was and being proud despite, and I know the doctor wasn't saying it. He, you know, he, he was old school. He was like, he didn't mean anything by it, but I was glad that she was strong enough and had a voice to say, I'm not worried about a scar Yeah, and I'm not going to be a model. And I don't care about that. She sat within who she was and she, she owned it. And I, I love, like, I love those experiences with your kids where you're like, um, I was asked yesterday, like, if I could give any advice to Olivia, if I wrote her a love letter, what would it look like? And one of the things I said is like, I just want her to keep that sense of self that she has, you know, like, I feel like when they're young and especially, you know, when mom's doing a good job of, of having conversations and being, you know, very conscious about, messaging and the way we view our own bodies and the way we show up in the world um you see this confidence it's almost like otherworldly you know and they're kind of like this is who I am and I'm like please don't lose that like that would be my advice I was like don't lose that don't lose it in expectation of other don't lose it in whatever messaging that you receive um I think that's really it's it's such a beautiful moment as a mom when you see them kind of step into who they are you're like yep that's my girl (laughs) I love it yeah so I have a question for you. Based on everything that's happened and all of your experience, your life experience, looking back at um, a younger version of yourself, if you look at a younger you, a younger Amberly, um, pick an age and tell me what she looks like, what she needs from you, and what advice you would give her. Mm-hmm. I would say I'm eight years old. And I am so little and underweight and um, the other kids are making fun of her and I'm being abused and sexually and physically. And I would look at her and say, you're safe. 
I'm here with you. I love you. Keep your head up. Things are going to get better. And this is not your fault. Mm, that's really powerful. I had a, another woman who um, had been molested by a relative from the time she was four years old. And her love letter to her younger self, she said, this is not your fault. Oh. That just gave me goosebumps when you said that because it, it's striking to me that people who've experienced it at such a young age, both of you have said the same thing. Um, I think because they wanted to make it, they, well, I was told that, you know, it, it is your fault. And if you tell anyone, then, you know, well, we won't even get into that. But yeah, they try to make it seem like your fault. Yeah. Like you're the one that's the wrong one. It's terrible. It's, it's terrible. Just horrible. And it's something that you wrote about. You did write about it in your book. Yeah. Did it, it was the hardest thing for me to I write was about. Ask, did it create any, like, I, I know, like, when I wrote about some tough stuff, like, I was worried about people reading it, how they were going to receive it, showing my vulnerability, which I know that you and I talked about before we even got started, like the vulnerability of writing a book and, mm -hmm. and putting it all out there. Was there any reconciliation through the process of writing about it? Um, it was, you know, there, my stepfather uh, is the one who sexually abused me. And there was all this time I thought, well, I didn't want to hurt my mom. So I didn't say anything to my mom. And I had told my dad and he didn't do anything about it. And so at that moment in life, I knew that if I was, I needed to take care of myself. Like mm -hmm. when you ask for help from your dad and they, they don't do anything about it. It's like, okay, well I better, I'm going to look out for myself. And so it built a lot of character. But when my mom found out years later, my stepdad didn't deny it. And for so long, I thought, well, he'll just deny it. He didn't deny it. And my mom, they live in Texas and I live in California and she came out to stay with me. And when she got back, he was gone. Hmm. She never saw him again. He left her with a disabled. My younger brother is disabled. Um, he can't eat on his own. He can't walk. He can't talk. And my sister, who was only 13 at the time, and he left. And so when I wrote the book, my mom was the first person that I let read it. And I said, do you, is this okay? And she said, well, could you add in there that if I would have known, then if I would have done this and I would have done that. And I said, mom, this isn't a book about woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. This is a book about this is what happens and this is how we rise above it. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I, I tried to write it in, um, a gentle way. Um, cause the last thing I wanted to do was hurt anyone through writing the book. Um, but I have had so many people from the PTA, some of the PTA moms at school to guys, males that through social media who've read my book mm -hmm. to people from, it's amazing to me that people from a different country who've read my book 
and have reached out to me because they were able to connect with me in a way and felt like, well, if that happened to her and she was able to move past it and she could love again, she could love and be married and have a baby and she can hold her head up high, then I can do that too. And that's the reason that I, that's the reason I wrote it. Yeah. I, I relate to that in the sense that with my, I had my mom read my book because I wrote about, um, she was a, she's an alcoholic and there's that fear when you share your truth, right? There's that fear that you're going to hurt others. And I remember someone saying to me, a friend, he was like, why are you delaying putting your book out in the world? And then I said, because I'm afraid that I might hurt people. It's not my intention to hurt. My intention is to give voice and context to things other people are going through and they don't know how to, to understand them, right? Every time I've written wow. about being the adult child of an alcoholic, I have people reach out to me and say, thank you so much for finally putting into words what I'm going through. This gives me hope and explains why I did this, this, and that, you know? And so when I asked my mom, I said, I need, I need you to let me write my, read. I have to write my story. Um, not just because of me, but because of how it's helping other people when, when they know about it. And this friend of mine, when I was delaying putting it out, he said, um, why would you hold back a book that could help 100 people, 1,000 people, a million people for the five people who left your life? And I was like, oh, that's so powerful, <laughs> you know? Like there's, there's always people who are looking for a way to connect their pain and see that there's hope on the other side of it. Um, so I, I honor yeah, the fact that I'm you I'm sure that. you've given a lot of, of people hope that have lived through that experience um, and – that's something that's so hard to talk about. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I, I honor the fact that you shared that. And I think it was really, it was one of the things that I, I noticed um, because you did it in a way that was like, this is what happened, right? Very, it's, it's, and you did exactly what you wanted to do. It's about, this is what happened and this is how I've moved forward. Um, if you were to leave behind any gold wisdom of nuggets or nuggets of, of gold, wisdom, inspiration, things that you'd want someone to know. Like if you were leaving this earth and you're like, hey, here's the last things I need to say to you, what would they be? I think grit plus grace equals resilience. <laughs> no, I would say, I would say um, you can have the life that you've always imagined, even if your circumstances have narrowed your possibilities. You have the power to change your life with a a simple shift in perspective. Mm. It's so true. It's so true. I tell people all the time, you can have the life that you want. Um, It's just a matter of getting out of your own way, right? Yeah, for sure. And I get in my way a lot. (laughs) I have to get out. (laughs) Well, it's funny too. And this is one of the things I love about self-development is that a lot of the folks who who write and talk and teach and do events and bring people together – They've created tools to help them, but that doesn't mean that their lives are perfect, right? And that doesn't mean that there's not going to be other obstacles or other situations that come up that are difficult for them to traverse, but now they have a toolkit. And I think it's a matter of sharing the toolkit and not saying, I'm your guru, but saying, hey, let me let me share a couple tools with you. Um, exactly. Yeah. And I am I love how you said that you are addicted to growing mm-hmm. and being a better version of yourself. And I feel the same way. And I think that when people can come together and share different tools, that's how we 
really strengthen our resilience and just help each other along. Iron sharpens iron. I love it. Well, and I think it's the the whole reason that as you're growing, you do have to bring in those people who want to grow with you and who have that capacity as well. And that becomes, I think, pretty apparent as you're on the track. You know, you 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 know pretty quickly. Um, who's for you and who should stick around. And I talk about that a lot, like as I'm working like through workshops about making sure that if you have a growth mindset that you also surround yourself with other people that have the same. So I'm so blessed to have met amazing people in this journey, including you. Um, I, I, uh, oh, I feel the same about you. I'm so glad that our paths cross. I agree. Shout out to Vipul from Know Your Legacy. Know. <laughs> He's so lovely. We had such a fantastic conversation and he was like, I have people you need to know. I was like, thank you. Um, thank you for, for sharing your goals and for talking so openly and honestly, I appreciate it. And I honor you and what you're doing and love following you on social media and watching all of the things that you're you're up to. So thank you for for being with me today. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. And I love reading all your inspirational, all the wisdom that you share as well on social media. Thank you. And love your book. It's actually sitting right next to me. It's on my desk right now. I love it. I love it. She told me she's dog-eared pages. That makes me feel good. (laughs) Yeah, I have. You should see it. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Thanks, Amberly. You can find her on Instagram at Amberly Lago Motivation. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. I'm always interested in content that uplifts, so if you have things you'd like to hear about, please share them with me in the comments. You can also find me on Instagram at ms.janetteschneider or Twitter at msjwrites. Get deep in the work with me to uncover your messaging before you pass it on to your children or the people you love and influence. Pick up my new book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. If you personally want some help moving toward that intentional life, join me every week on my intention journey. I'm inviting you totally free from my heart to your inbox. Sign up for my love notes at JeanetteSchneider.com and before you even wake up on Monday mornings, there will be a huge dose of motivation waiting for you. Yes, I will wake you up on Monday morning with intention setting prompts and give you some tips as to what is setting my soul on fire. On Fridays, I'm going to remind you to let go, recharge, and love yourself up with some self-care prompts to get present in your downtime. Intentional living is where it's at, y'all. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.